This past week, I got to take my family on a trip to the mountains, and we found uh, just a wonderful time there. It was um, significantly cooler than the heat of the city that we have been in for this summer. Um, But as you travel to the mountains, um, when you first see them, I remember first seeing them when I was 18, struck by their uh, grandeur and just um, quite amazed by their size and beauty. Um, But as you approach the mountains, you begin to see, um, you know, they pop up on the horizon and wow, look at all those mountains and they look like they're all close together. But as you get and approach them, uh, you find they're far bigger than they look at first sight. Uh, And you are struck um, by their grandeur and also the distance. Uh, We looked at the map. I looked at the map before planning the trip out. And I thought it would be just about three hours by car. And it turned out to be five because when we got to the mountains, uh, it took time to drive through these winding roads of changing elevations um, as you go up and down and up and down. And so uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, illustration that proves to be a powerful illustration for understanding how God speaks in the Bible, um, oftentimes in prophetic literature. And we see this week that Jesus is uh, the king, um, but... Uh, he is the prophetic king. He is a prophetic king. And so we're going to examine that closely. And then next week, we'll focus more on his return, uh, the return of the king. But really, this is all tied together in the same passage. And we will look at Matthew 24, 15 to 28, and then 32 to 35 today. And next week, we'll look at the remaining remaining part of the chapter. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 24 verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women, who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, Those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, Look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather.
So uh, this passage uh, is difficult. Uh, scholars have wrestled with it throughout the ages. Um, what's particularly difficult about this passage is that Jesus uses unfamiliar language to us. Um, it's a mix of prophetic language and apocalyptic language. And so uh, Jesus is speaking like the prophets. Um, I don't know about you, what your favorite book of the Bible is. Um, is it Micah or Nahum or Obadiah? Um, actually, many Christians have a brown spot uh, from the, uh, at the end of their Bibles, and then in the middle, it's kind of, you know, just like crisp. Um, and so there's the book of the prophets um, that are very, they're actually quite difficult. Uh, to put it in context. Uh, they're, they're tagged on, it seems, to the end of the Old Testament, but they actually happen chronologically in the times of the kings. And so as you read the books of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and then Chronicles again, which is kind of a commentary on some of these kings, uh, the, the prophets are interwoven there. But it's hard to figure out, well, is this a early prophet or a late prophet, or is he for the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom? Um, Nevertheless, Jesus is speaking like a prophet. He is a prophet, but he's also more than a prophet. He is the Son of Man. And so we'll talk about that today. Uh, but it's difficult. Jesus is speaking like one of the prophets with apocalyptic language. And there's few chronological distinctions. So what's the timeline for this? Is Jesus talking about now uh, when he talks about this, this uh, abomination of desolation? Uh, is he talking about at the end of the time, uh, at the end of the world, the end of the age? Uh, we just heard about that. The end will come in verse 14. Or is he talking about in their lifetime for the disciples? So it's complex, and I'm not going to try to be too complicated, uh, but scholars differ. There's some in different camps. Some take a historical view that all of these events literally happened in history in the past. And so uh, that, the technical term is preterist uh, view. Um, so it, essentially, they're saying this is all historical in the past. That's what I call it, past. And nothing, it's speaking nothing of the return of Christ, but um, the time of A.D. 70, okay? And so uh, there's some famous theologians uh, who hold on to that view. Others uh, take a future view. And so this is the futurist. Um, so all of this is relating to the future. Um, so the nation of Israel will be in the land and persecution will come and there'll be a secret rapture and this and that. And that's been popularized in, uh, through books uh, like the Left Behind series um, and such. So that's a futurist view. And then there's another view. Um, I find that I, as I was preparing for this, that I'm in this camp. Um, Doug O'Donnell, uh, I'm indebted so much for my understanding uh, this time around of Matthew from him. Um, he calls this, everyone is wrong and we are right view. Um, but uh, the way I understand it is an already but not yet. Already but not yet. And we've talked about that before. So that's a mingling of some of these events are from the, for the past or happened in the past. And some of these are at the end of the age, or um, the last. So past or last, there's a mixture. And that brings us to mountains. So uh, 
The first mountain, if you're, if you're driving like I was, and you see mountains in the distance, uh, the, the closer ones are dark, and then the, it kind of gets a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter and lighter. But nevertheless, the mountain range looks like these mountains are close together. So the first mountain would be AD 70, which was the siege and destruction of Jerusalem. And then the next mountain that looks right next to it, just right up close, is the second coming of Christ. It's called the parousia, uh, which in Greek means being present. And so the second coming. Uh, and it looks like these events are really close together. And we look in the, the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, for example, chapter 9, chapter 61. Uh, it looks like in the same sentence, the same verse, it's talking about that something will happen, like um, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me, Jesus reads. But he doesn't read the second part. It says the day of vengeance for our God. Um, but those two events, they're actually two events that are spread by not a few years of distance, but a thousand, thousands of years of distance, and we don't know exactly how far these two events are spread apart. And so uh, a theologian named George Ladd calls this foreshortening, um, foreshortening. And so it's like speaking of events as if they're close together, but they're actually very far apart, like that, uh, and the reason why they're in the same verse or the same conversation is the ideas are similar, uh, and so, uh, but the time, the chronology is difficult. So all, this, all that to say, this is a difficult passage. Um, but there, uh, another theologian, uh, Daniel Durrani, uh, talked about how some of these events were fulfilled in 78, AD 70, and there is a final fulfillment as well. So, for example, Chris took us through this in verse 5, um, false Christs. And Jesus again warns us again against false teachers, false messiahs in verse 23-24 that we read. So, verse 5, uh, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Uh, so, uh, in AD 70, there were many Jewish prophets um, saying that God would deliver the people from the Romans uh, in history. That's the year 70. Well, at the end of the age, um, antichrists will come, the scriptures tell us, and the antichrist will deceive by words and deeds, even miracles. And so Jesus tells us, don't be led astray. That's one of the major themes of his teaching here. Don't be led astray by false teachers. And it's a major uh, challenge uh, when, the peop when people, when uh, we are um, in a hard place, we're looking for answers, and someone steps up and says, well, I have good news. And so our ears, we have to be, that, that brings me to my, well, I'll, I'll stay in order here. So the first point is, don't be led astray. There's other examples of this. There are wars, uh, famine, earthly uh, calamities such as earthquakes. Uh, one happened just prior to AD 70 in Rome. Um, Rome was at war and there, were, there was a famine during the reign of Claudius. Uh, and so these, these calamities, these, these things have been occurring throughout history as we know. And then at the end of the age, uh, a, 
a possible another fulfillment is that there, these troubles will intensify. There continue to be wars, continue to be rumors of wars, etc. The gospel will be known to the world. Uh, it's an astonishing thing. The book of Acts shows us that the gospel multiplied and spread throughout the known world. So is that the end? Well, not yet. Um, and, and then at the end of the age, the gospel will go to every people group, as Chris uh, preached last week. Today we'll look at this uh, abomination. Uh, Rome came in, invaded Jerusalem, and killed, even in the temple. Um, the history of this day is quite astonishing. I, I didn't know uh, the details of it and, um, until studying this recently. And there will be a final rebellion uh, before Christ comes, uh, and there will be religious abomination and desolation. And so the other, uh, the other things, the sun, moon, the sign of his appearing, um, Jerusalem f f Jerusalem's fall foreshadows the earth's, um, the end of the earth's uh, present, I don't know, existence. <laughs> um, and then the world order ends when Christ returns. And the sign of his appearing. So all of this is, is quite difficult to wade through. Is it for them or for uh, then? Well, let's set that aside for a second. Um, Jesus gives some clear commands in these, in these texts. The first one I've mentioned, don't be led astray. The second one is don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Uh, Sometimes we want to keep information from those we love. So, um, you know, imagine if you had the, the foreknowledge that tomorrow your house would burn down. Um, you might think, you know, I'm having a lovely dinner with my family. I don't want to tell my, my, my wife and my children that the house is going to burn down tomorrow because we want to have just a peaceful, lovely evening. Uh, but that wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't be the loving thing. Um, the loving thing would be a disaster's coming tomorrow. We have to get out. And so that's what Jesus essentially does. He's being pastoral in raising their awareness that these calamities will happen. But the thing he wants, the, wants believers, and we can hang on to this too, for us is don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed when there's wars. Don't be alarmed when there's rumors of wars. Uh, when nation rises against nation. And so Christians really, um, you know, coronavirus is here. Christians really should be uh, people of hope and people knowing, you know, that uh, we, we shouldn't be the, uh, the alarmists. We shouldn't be the ones that are kind of losing our minds uh, because Jesus is in control and he has prepared us even for these types of hardships and events and persecutions and worse things have happened than what, you know, corona or uh, other things that we might experience in our lifetime. And the final really clear command Jesus makes here is endure to the end. Endure to the end. And so Chris, you know, uh, uh, preached all through all this in the first 14 verses. Uh, the one who endures to the end will be saved. But today I want to focus on, like we sang, um, Jesus' words are true. Um, he's the prophetic king. And so what do we do with these things? The uh, first thing I want to recognize is the accuracy of the king. Jesus is accurate in his predictions. 
he's accurate in his prophetic word. Um, And so uh, a bit of a history lesson. Um, In the year AD 70, as we said, there was a siege around Jerusalem. And I'm going to try something I haven't done here, but I've done lots of times with my students. See if it works. There we go. So this is a painting by uh, Robert, no, Roberts. Yeah, David Roberts. Um, when I was a teenager, my, one of my best friends had this hanging on his wall. Uh, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, what is that about? Well, this is the year AD 70. And you can see Jerusalem is on fire. And Rome is coming from the north. And uh, these little people here, our soldiers as well, surrounding the city. And the city was laid siege, surrounded, uh, for months. I think it was five months in total, a five-month siege. But Jesus predicted that this event would happen. And that's what I take, and that's what many conservative scholars take to uh, this this passage about Daniel, uh, referring to Daniel, the, the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Jesus is saying what Daniel talked about is going to happen in your lifetime, talking to his disciples and those first century followers. Um, And then he gives them instruction. Don't hang tight on your housetop. Don't, uh, you know, go down and get your favorite watch or, well, they didn't have watches, but your favorite item. Uh, If you're in the field, don't turn back to go get your cloak. But, and, and, you know, pray that, pray that this won't happen in a, a rough season, okay? Don't pray that it won't happen in winter or on a Sabbath when it would be difficult to travel. So the historical background of this is this. Four years prior, uh, there was a huge Jewish revolt in AD 66. And the Romans were uh, flustered by this, uh, annoyed by this, and determined to squash this revolt. And so they made their way south um, from, you know, Uh, the Roman generals made their way south and seized and conquered along the way. And the day was August uh, 29th in the year AD 70 when the siege happened, uh, or when the the city essentially fell. The temple was leveled. And like I said, the siege was five months long. So uh, something really crazy. Jesus predicted the temple... Um, as we saw in, in verse, uh, the first few verses, um, that there wouldn't be a, a stone remaining, that the stones would be tossed down. Uh, he said, truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another. Now, this was fascinating to me that uh, the soldiers, they were essentially, first, sorry, first, a, uh, there was given a provision, don't, don't mess with the temple. But somehow, someway, a soldier lit a fire and the temple started to burn. And all the gold in the temple uh, melted into the cracks of the stones. So the soldiers went in and turned over the stones to get the gold and retrieve the gold from these cracks that had melted in the fire. So these stones were overturned and cast down and the gold retrieved, just like Jesus said that not a stone would remain. And so uh, his word is true. 
and it happened. The uh, Jewish historian Josephus said all the rest of the wall encompassing the city was so completely leveled to the ground that at, as to leave future visitors to the spot no ground for believing that it had ever been inhabited. Just leveled, leveled. Um, so this calamity, this event, A.D. 70, was worse than Solomon's temple when it was destroyed in the year 583 B.C., worse than the intertestamental period uh, with Antiochus Epiphanius. He went into the Holy of Holies and uh, offered, uh, put an idol in the Holy of Holies. That was a horrible time, and there was a revolt at that time, before Jesus was born. Uh, but here, the Romans go into the Holy of Holies and destroy it. They destroy the Holy of Holies and every holy building uh, in that area. And so, what happened? The people in the city, 97,000 of them became slaves. 97,000. That's a lot of people enslaved. And even more... Uh, a lot more. 1.1 million people were either slaughtered or died of starvation during the siege. So what do we do with, these, uh, with this passage? Jesus tells these first disciples, when you see this event, and I take it to be AD 70, when you see this uh, uh, abomination of desolation, and when you see these calamities, uh, flee. The first instruction Jesus gives them is to flee. The second one is to pray, and the third one is uh, a call for discernment. Do not be led astray. And so let's look at the first one, flee. Uh, he says, flee quickly to the hills, to the hills, like to the mountains. Um, Jesus tells them, be willing, and he, he prepares us throughout his teaching, be willing to die for the gospel. Some will be willing, some will die for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom, but don't die for the temple. And this, uh, just trying to put myself in their shoes, uh, the temple was the place where God and man came together, uh, such high reverence for the temple, the temple, the temple. But remember, Jesus was in the temple with the religious leaders. They had all these confrontations. Jesus pronounced these woes, and then he left the temple, which kind of parallels what God did in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel. The glory of God, like a cloud, lifted up from the temple and just moved away. God's presence left the temple. And in the book of the prophets, I think it was Jeremiah or Ezekiel. I'm sorry for that. You can look it up. They kept saying, you know, they were warned, you know, repent, change your way, turn to God, uh, or calamity is coming. And they said, the temple, the temple, the temple, we have the temple. Well, the glory of God departed in the Old Testament, and now Jesus, the glory of God incarnate, departs from the temple. And he tells them, when they're marveling, uh, the temple is going down. So this naturally leads them to ask, well, if the temple's going down, is this the end of the world? And that's a great question. Uh, when will you return? And I was going to try to put this all in one sermon, but uh, praise the Lord, I'm going to save it for next week about the return of the king. Uh, but today, I just want to look at Jesus is a prophetic king, and his words are true, and they happened. 
and every promise he's made will happen. And so what are we to do with this? He says, flee to them. Uh, this leads us to, to listen. Um, like he says here at the end of this illustration of the fig tree, verse 32. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know the su that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Uh, James 5 verse 9 says that Jesus is the judge and he's standing at the door. Um, he's on the way. And, and, and lastly, he says this, uh, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus' words are true and Jesus' words are like no other words. Um, no one spoke like him in all of history, except for God, and Jesus is God in the flesh. Uh, this is a call, this is a, um, I remember listening to debates between uh, Christianity and Islam, and hearing these, if you talk to, you've, some of you probably encountered this, some people claim that Jesus never claimed to be God, but there are countless ways that you can't escape that reality. He says, I am the son of man of Daniel chapter seven, and the son of man is worshiped, uh, 7.13, I think it is. Uh, he says here, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. Um, next week, we'll talk, we'll talk more about this authority given to him. Jesus does claim to be divine, he, and he is the son of God. Uh, so flee. Um, and then he says that, that uh, Delal and I were reading this in Luke's gospel, I think it's chapter 13. Um, there was a fig tree and it was producing no fruit for three years. And he said, well, let's just burn it, trash it, it's taking up space. But uh, the man said, well, let's give it one more year. If it produces fruit, good and well. If not, cast it out, let it be burned. Well, um, that's very symbolic of Israel and these uh, first century leaders. Um, they did not repent. They did not respond to God's coming. Jesus pronounced woe even on the city of Jerusalem, we saw. The second thing we are to do with this, how this might apply to us, um, they prayed for timing. Uh, pray that it's not in winter. Pray that it's not on the Sabbath. Uh, winter would be really hard for the aged. It would be really hard for women who are pregnant, um, the most vulnerable. And a Sabbath, they weren't supposed to travel. Uh, and so it's kind of an amazing thing. Pray that this wouldn't happen in winter. And praise the Lord, they prayed, and this happened in August. It did not happen in winter. Um, it was this terrible event of AD 70 happened on August 29th. So it shows us they prayed. Um, and God, in His sovereignty, and the mystery of, you know, God has, God is working in the world, but He works through our prayers, and uh, that's something to wrestle with. God's, man's, our responsibility in prayer, but we can pray for, for God's timing for, for, for world events as well. Um, and the last one is don't be duped, don't be tricked, don't be de deceived. 
in hardship, in hard times, when we're, when we're suffering or when we need hope, false people will come along and say, I have it. Come and eat. Uh, and many times uh, this will take place in places where there's a large crowd. Um, it's popular, those kinds of things. So we need discernment about uh, true, teaching, teach, true teachers from false teachers. Uh, Jesus says it's not going to be some secret, localized thing, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be for the whole globe. Um, one person named uh, Kim Riddlebarger said it this way: His coming will not be an isolated, secret, or local event, but will be witnessed by the entire world. Every eye will see him. As Revelation chapter 1 says, um, it will be so plain, Jesus says, his return will be so plain, it will be like a lightning strike across the sky and from the east to the west, like, whoa, bright light. So we'll, we'll talk more about his return next time. So what are we to do? We are to obey. We are to obey and take Jesus at his word. Um, he knows how to live the human life. He tells us about everything, about sexuality, about marriage, um, about uh, everything we need for, for, uh, to live a godly life. Um, and so we should take God at his word, take Jesus at his word, and, and keep his commands and find that is the way for us to be saved. Uh, to be miserable is to be a Christian living in disobedience. Uh, we see that in the prophet Jonah. <laughs> He was not a happy camper uh, or a happy swimmer or a happy whatever inside the fisher. Um, and then secondly, what are we to do is pray. We can, we can pray and trust that God will work through our prayers. Uh, God has commanded us to pray, invited us to pray, and sometimes it's really hard to pray. Uh, you might pray for the same thing for decades. Um, and that's, that's a very difficult thing to persevere in prayer. Uh, but be encouraged. God answers prayer. And then be discerning. Uh, Jerusalem went down. And um, because that's the case, Christ can return at any moment. Uh, and we don't know exactly when he'll return. Um, we'll talk about that next time, though. So, a couple application questions. Do you trust Jesus' word? Um, do you trust his prophetic word? Uh, do you trust his words are true and he has his, your best interests in mind? Secondly, don't underestimate the power of prayers to a sovereign God. And third, in troubling times and in times of great tribulation, Christians are most susceptible to following the wrong crowd. It might be popular. It might be even in or around the church. Sometimes, for us, unbelief is necessary for believers. We need to be skeptical. You know, somebody stands up and says, I'm Jesus. We say, no, you're not. Uh, Jesus is going to come like a flash of lightning on the clouds with this powerful angel. Well, next week, right? Um, sometimes, this is, this is quite ironic, disobedience is sometimes our duty. If someone tells us not to follow God and to go the wrong way, we need to not be led astray. 
And all of this might sound abstract, but Chris brought this out. Um, throughout history, from the time of Christ till now, the world, many world religions have started. Uh, people have said, you know, I have a secret wisdom from God. I have a secret revelation. We need to follow this religion A, religion B, religion C. And so do not be deceived. And that's the big thing. If something is turning you from Christ, turning away from Christ, it is not from God. Everything that God sends, uh, he wants uh, Christ to be the center of it because he is the center. He holds everything together by the word of his power. And uh, all things are to him and through him. And he is, has the supremacy, the book of Colossians tells us. So, if you're in a theological conversation or in a religious conversation and, and somebody says, well, we need to turn away from Christ, that is a false teacher. Um, his blood is the remedy for our sin-sick souls. And it's, it's difficult. There's Christian books and Christian musicians, um, but they're not always Christian, so we have to be discerning. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for your word that you tell us the truth in a world of lies, uh, how refreshing your word is. It is sweeter than, than honey, and it cleanses and washes us clean. Jesus, thank you that you came and told us the truth. And even in this complex teaching uh, about you talking about events to come, and it's difficult to understand the timeline of these things, your, your points are really clear um, that we are not to be led astray, that we are to pray and that uh, we are to obey you and, and obey your word. And so I pray that you would help us to cherish the Bible. Um, help us, uh, just remember that Chris told us there's not some secret Bible code, um, you know, that only a few people understand. Um, Jesus, you have clear teaching, and sometimes it's really uh, difficult and unclear, but there are clear points within it. And so help us to be discerning. Um, I pray that you would sustain us and uh, help us in calamity, um, not to try to interpret the times by the cultural climate of our day, um, but help us to be at peace and trusting in you, our rock. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.